is a privilege to be here, and we have enjoyed uh, re relating to the young people, and we've enjoyed relating to the youth sponsors, and today we're looking forward to meeting uh, you all from the local congregation here. So welcome, and it's, it's good to be together. This morning, we're going to be talking about him, him, who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think he is able to do that. And for the youth, and especially for those of you who are joining us this morning, we're just going to go over a few things, and this has been our youth rally, rallying cry. And I'm going to just invite everyone to stand and repeat after me these statements, and the youth are used to this. Basically, it sums up each one of the five sessions. So the last two, you have not yet had. But you can say, I am loved. I am called. We need each other. He has overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We were there yesterday, and we just need to pick up a few more verses before we move on. Yesterday, we talked about using our lives to serve God. We talked about even giving God our weaknesses. And there is one weakness that I have that I'm going to tell you about this morning it's something that for years was embarrassing to me. You see, I was the oldest child in my grade. When I went to the big school in Canada after my family moved from Guatemala, tremendous opportunity, tremendous experience, and set me up for life. But I was the oldest one in my grade. And the reason was because I got to do grade one twice. And it wasn't because the teacher liked me so much. She said, oh, I can't do it without you. You need to stay here and help me one more year. It was because I didn't make it. Worse than failing, they actually kind of sent me home uh, after Christmas and said, you know what, let that guy play with his blocks a little more. We'll try again next year. And that is the truth. <laughs> I was not happy about that, and I, I was kind of embarrassed uh, by that. But it was the best thing that could happen to me. The Bible says that uh, our, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I came to the point in my life where I thanked the Lord that he had allowed me to fail grade one. And this is how it, it came about. As the school in El Tel grew, and the school basically was patterned after the school that I had gone to in Canada. People would come and they would say, how, how do you know how to do this? Well, all I did was went to our little mission school in Guatemala and, and kind of applied the same principles and the same routines and some of the same ideas that I had experienced as a student in the school in Canada, tweaked it to the culture there, and it just, it, it really worked. And people, people loved it, and they liked that style of education. So again, um, not, not anything that I came up with, just uh, using what I had been given and, and giving it to others. And that is the truth that I would like to pass on to you. 
you have nothing. Think about it. You have nothing that you haven't received from somebody else. I'll say it one more time. You have nothing that you haven't received from somebody else. And everything good that you have can be traced back to God. You ultimately got it from God. He's, he's the giver of life. He is the giver of life. As the school grew, uh, we kind of became known as a school where uh, children learned to read. And we would have uh, <laughs> families come and, and bring especially their boys. For some reason, education in boys in Guatemala is a bit of a, a complexity, I guess. And by this time, I was the administrator of the school, kind of the acting principal, and people would wait sometimes three or four days where my schedule would allow to actually meet with them. And I was the person that they needed to talk to before they would be accepted to the school. Sometimes families would come partway through the year. And, and different times, you'd have this scene where this mom would come, come traipsing into the, my office after waiting for a day or two to, uh, for our schedules to jive. And she'd be dragging with her an eight or nine or 10 year old boy. And she would say to me, this, this boy is dumb. And I was never okay with that. I wasn't comfortable with uh, the boy hearing his mom talk like that in front of him. But she would say, he, he just can't learn. He, he cannot learn. Um, he has failed grade one two times. He has failed grade one three times. This guy just can't learn, but, but this is our last resort. This is our last hope. I'm willing to pay tuition for him to come here if you can teach him how to read. And I would just smile, and I would say, you came to the right place. You see, I failed grade one too. And the mom's jaw would drop. Because here is, you know, Hermano Esteban. The, the, the principal of this school, he failed grade one? You're kidding. And I would always watch the little boy's face because a light would come into his eyes and a little smile would come onto his face and you could kind of see what he was thinking. And he was thinking, I'm going to like this place. The guy at the very top failed grade one too? Well, I'm going to like it here. See, hope is a wonderful thing. Light and life. First John, uh, John chapter 1. You're already there, and I'm not quite, but I'll get there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the life in him was life. And the life was the light of men. We're talking about life this morning and thinking about the light of Christ shining and us soaking up that light, us absorbing that light, like standing in the sunshine and getting warm. Verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness didn't overcome the light. And the darkness can't overcome the light. All the powers of darkness are not enough 
to put out the light of one little candle. Have you thought about that? Darkness can't put out light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's referring to John the Baptist. I'd like to invite you to read that verse with me again. We're going to read it all together. But when we come to his name was John, put in your name. If you're a sister here this morning, when it says there was a man sent from God, put in woman. Because we are all called to be light bearers. And just feel how that sounds. Here we go, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was Stephen. Try it again. Put your name in. There was a man sent from God whose name was Stephen. Yeah. See, that light shines in us. John was the messenger. And we'll keep reading. Verse 7. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that our mission here? Is to just bear witness of that light? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. But really what we're doing is just lighting our candle at the lamp, at the light, the eternal light of Christ. And then we're carrying forth that light. And we're bearing witness to that light. Verse 8 talks about John. He was not that light. Capital L. Do you see that? He was not that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He has overcome the world. Before we leave, John chapter 1. I'd like to read verse 16 yet. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. I'd invite you to take a tour with me this morning. We'll be turning the pages of our Bibles in John. And it's, it's a tour of John. It's a tour about light. There are three verses uh, in front of you that you can, you can see. And the rest we'll find in our Bibles. And this, is the com- and this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Then I would have you turn in your Bibles to John 8, verse 12. I have a red-letter edition. I hope you do too. If you don't, that's fine. 
But in John 8, verse 12, we're going to read the red letter part. Jesus spake, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, and this is what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. If we're following Jesus, we're going to have the light of life. John 9, verse 5. Again, red letters. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he leaves, who's the light? His followers. His followers are called to be the light. You and I are called to be that light today, wherever we go, wherever we are. We should be shining, pushing back the darkness by our very presence. When I was young and idealistic, I thought that in order to shine for God, I needed to be talking about God. I have learned in my life that often our very presence offends the darkness. Our very presence, when we're full of light and we've absorbed that light, our very presence pushes back the darkness. John 12, verse 44 to 46. John 12, 44 to 46. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sent me, seeth him that sent me. Sorry, and he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me, should not abide in darkness. We are called to push back the darkness wherever we go. John 16.33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I think that word tribulation could also be said as conflict. There is going to be a battle between light and darkness in the world. As long as we're in the world, we will be facing opposition. We will be facing tribulation. There is a story that that I just love. And I love to tell, it was, tr- it was told to me as a true story. I can't tell you who these people are because I don't know. It's a, it's a very old story, probably 30 or 40 years ago. But it, it has a very valid point. And it, if it, it didn't happen exactly this way, it certainly could have. The story is told about a group of Amish and Beachy people traveling from Ohio area down to Florida for a few weeks in Florida. A busload of these people, plain people, and they stopped off at a rest area and they went in to uh, use the restrooms and you know, all the men went to the men's room and all the ladies went to the ladies' room. 
moments after that bus pulled in, so pulled in a motorcycle gang. Lots of leather, lots of chains, lots of darkness. And with this motorcycle gang were some women. And these women went stomping into the ladies' room, too. And as they came in, I'm told the, the Amish and beachy ladies just kind of moved back, moved out of their way, and just kind of, you know, let them go first. And one of these motorcycle ladies said, why are you scared of us? With a thing on your head, you have a whole lot more power than we do. And that little story just gives me chills because it's true. We have more power. We have the light. Jesus has overcome the world. And he wants us to bear witnesses, to bear witness of the truth, of the life, and of the life in the darkness. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He told this to his disciples. He said this just before he left. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Have you ever thought of how we end our prayers? Often when we pray, we pray a whole lot of things, and then we say, In Jesus' name, Amen. What are we doing? Have you ever thought about that? What are we saying? We are saying in Jesus' name, who is the greatest power in the universe, because God has given him that power. In Jesus' name, who created all things, nothing that was made was made without him. So we've said a lot of things, we've asked a lot of things, and then we say in Jesus' name, Amen. What does amen mean? Have you ever thought about that? Amen means so be it. Amen means just do it. Amen means go. When I worked at the carpenter shop making grandfather clocks, on all the machines, there, there were machines to shape wood, there were machines to sand the wood, there were machines to plane the wood. But on all the machines, there was a little electrical box. And it had a green button, and it had a red button. The green button started it up, and you wanted to make sure your fingers were out of the way when you pushed that button. Because things would happen. And when bad things happened, you pushed the red button. And they were big buttons, and they were green, and they were red. And I'm a very simple person. But when I think of amen, I think of a green button. And we say things in our prayers, and we ask things in our prayers, and then we say in Jesus' name, the greatest name that there is, the greatest power in the universe, and we push the green button. We need to be careful what we say before we push the green button. If we truly believe that. But that's what we're saying. He can transform. 
and renew. I'm going to take you to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Again, very, very common verses. You've read these before, but they are so powerful. Paul says to the Roman church, and just get a, get a load of this, Rome wasn't that much different than North America in 2023. I mean, they didn't have technology, they didn't have computers and social media, but they had everything else. You name it, they had it. Just let me try to prove this to you. Was abortion an issue in Rome? Yes, it was. Was Were there gender issues in Rome? <laughs> yep. Was there a bit of crime in Rome? Uh-huh. I mean, you name it, they had it. Except for Facebook, probably. And this is what Paul says to the Romans. I beg of you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is the least you can do. I'm paraphrasing there. The King James Version says, which is your reasonable service. But can't you present that body? It's going to die anyway. A living sacrifice to God. Make it just as holy as you can. Acceptable to God. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world press you into its mold and make you think like they do. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yesterday we talked about doing His will. We have a choice. We can choose whether we're going to follow or not. We can choose, I think, we can choose how much, what percent of access we're going to give to Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are we going to give 10% and maintain 90% control? Are we going to go 50-50, so I'll open the door halfway, and you can control half of it, but the other half, uh, I get to decide. I, I really think we can. And when we close our eyes and say get yes, or like we talked yesterday, we, we sign a blank check, and we just say, here you go, God, you, you fill in the blanks, I sign my name on the bottom, and hold me to it. That's 100%. I think then God can perform in us His perfect will. And that doesn't mean we're, we're not going to mess it up sometimes. Someone said the problem with a living sacrifice, like he talks about in verse 1, is that it keeps crawling off the altar. We're there today, and tomorrow we discover we're no longer there. We have to get back up, back on the altar. And say, here I am. 
I think God knew how tough a student I was, and that's why I have daily reminders in my physical body of the deal that I made when I was 20 years old. God can transform, God can renew. I, I have to think of Juan. Juan is 73 years old today. He's the faithful, quiet deacon in the church in El Cal. That man is more faithful probably than I'll ever be. I mean, I'll keep growing and I'll try. But he is so faithful. He is so calm. He is so full of mercy and grace. He was once a drinker. And he would abuse his wife. But then he came to the Lord. And he found Jesus. And he changed. It didn't necessarily happen overnight. But it's been a lifetime of giving into God and growing in grace. That's Juan. I've seen it. A little more recently, about 10 years, a man came up to me. I, I can picture it clearly in my mind. I was running wood through a table saw. I think my dad and I were building a table. And this man came up to us and he said, uh, just so you know, I became a Christian this week and I want to start coming to your church on Sunday. And then he said, have a good afternoon, and he walked away. And my dad and I just looked at each other, and we said, is he sober? Because we knew him. His name is Tomas. He was a truck driver. He was a drunkard. I mean, he would even drink a little bit while he was driving trucks. But he drank a lot when he wasn't. He was on his third wife, but he wasn't faithful to them either. He, he was what we call a womanizer and Catholic. Next Sunday morning, he was in church. The Sunday after that, he was in church. And so I met with him and I said, um, you said you became a Christian. Yeah, yeah, he, he wasn't planning to. He stopped by to see a friend and his friend was telling him that he had become a Christian a couple weeks before and that Tomas should too. And so then he read some verses to him, and um, yeah, it just made a lot of sense. That's what he needs to do. So he did, and he's going to change his life. He's not drinking anymore, but he was still driving trucks. And he had switched from Catholic to evangelical, like that just doesn't happen, to Mennonite. He started instruction class, and... He told me, he said, I don't read very fast, but I've decided I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start at Genesis. Tomas was a much older man than I was. I was a young pastor, and he was probably 60 then, or 55. And I tried to talk him out of starting in Genesis. I said, why don't you try John? I tried to explain to him that, you know, the New Testament, that's Jesus' teachings, that we could start or maybe start at Matthew at the beginning of the he wasn't having it. He's like, no, the Bible, the Bible's here, and he's going to start at the front, and he's going to read the whole thing. Uh, well, you go, Tomas. And I'd listen to him read, and I thought, you know, is he going to get through it in 10 years? 
Well, he'd take his Bible with him on the truck. And when he was waiting for loads, he'd read his Bible. And in Guatemala, they load by hand. So he had some time. We were in instruction class, and there were two other young men in the class. And then one time, it didn't suit Carlos, and it didn't suit Bidom. And it was just Tomas. And I'd always pray before we'd start instruction class. Let me back up just a minute. I had been thinking about the fact that he was living with his third wife. And I happened to know he was actually married to Lilian that lived in our town. His third wife lived about six hours away in a coast town. He had teenagers with her. That was his family. He had about five children. And I kept feeling like I needed to talk to him about his marital situation. And every time I would, you know, say, okay, I need to talk to Tomas. I need to change this. I need to talk to him about this. I would just feel like, just hold it, Stephen. Not yet. So I, I listened. Well, this day in instruction class, we prayed, and I, I read the text, and, and we read the memory verse together. He wasn't with me. And I thought, what is going on? And then he said, uh, Stephen, the other boys aren't here today. Can we talk about something else rather than the lesson? I said, sure, we can talk about whatever you want. He said, well, he's reading through the Bible, and, and he got to the verses where it talks about if a man divorces his first wife, then he should be single. Is that what the Bible's saying? Yeah, Tomas, that's what the Bible's saying. He said that if that man marries another woman, he's committing adultery. Is that really what the Bible's saying? I said, yeah, Tomas, that's what the Bible's saying. He said, so that's my problem, he said. I said, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, well, he told me the whole story. He said, so I've decided that I'm just going to live alone from now on. And I, I have another house here in this town, so that'll be my house now, and I'll just live all by myself. He said, but I have one question. Would it be okay if I would still stop in and see my family once in a while, as long as I don't stay for the night? I said, Tomas, you got it. He said, okay, would it be okay if I would still give them money to support them? Because they, they kind of depend on me to eat. I said, yeah, that would be fine. He said, would it be okay if I would keep paying my son's tuition because he's in university? I said, you keep supporting their son. They're your children. He said, okay. That makes sense. I'll do that. And I am very small in faith. I thought, yeah, I wonder how many months it's going to last. Well, it's been about 10 years now. Tomas is still living alone. The power of that light. Darkness can't put it out. That's just to give you a little idea, and I guess practical evidence, that he can transform and renew. And I, and I feel like sometimes in our communities, we have been so blessed with truth, we don't see that transformation, and that renewal. One of my grade 8 boys became a Christian in the last three weeks. 
And I asked him, I said, what changed? He said, well, not nothing, really. I mean, I feel peace now. But the truth is, he's grown up in a solid Christian home. What has changed? He wasn't a bad boy. He doesn't have a drinking addiction, praise the Lord, right? Not a lot changed. And I don't, I don't believe we should walk in darkness so that we have this, you know, amazing testimony. But I do believe we should recognize it when we see that in others. And don't underestimate the power of the gospel and the power of light to renew and to transform. Transform is changing completely from left to right. Renewing is actually putting in new stuff that wasn't there before. I don't know if I understand it correctly, but renewing to me means if I cut my finger off in the table saw, if my hand was able to renew itself, a new finger would grow back. He wants to work in us. And I left two blanks there for you if you're uh, filling in your worksheet. Because there's a difference between him working in us and him working through us. I believe he works in us first. And then he can work through us second. I want to take you to a passage that is really sad to me. It's part of the life of Jesus. It's in Matthew 13. The verse that we're going to read is verse 58. You know the story about Jesus' home when he goes back to Nazareth, where he grew up? This story is really sad to me because when I read my Bible, I tend to read between the lines as well. And I, I actually kind of put in some of, you know, how we do things. And I, I don't know that it was any different then. Moms were moms, and their relationship with their son was, was reasonably the same, I think. So Jesus is now a prophet. He, he is known to do miracles. He, he's known to be this great prophet. And he comes back home to his hometown, and he's there on a Saturday, kind of like our Sunday, right? Do you think they had a special meal on Saturdays because that was the day they went to the synagogue? I know they didn't have crockpots. If they would have, they would have used them, I think. But I kind of imagine, you know, Mary getting excited about her son coming home. And he's going to go to the home church the home synagogue, and he's a great prophet, right? I mean, who knew? She kind of knew in her heart, and here he comes. He's coming home. She had maybe prepared a special meal for him, and they ask him to speak. They ask him to read from the scroll, and so he reads from the scroll, and then he says this preposterous thing. He said, today, I'm here. I'm the light. Um, you can believe in me. Today, this scripture in Isaiah is fulfilled. I'm here. And they tried to stone him. And he went away. Verse 58 says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
He had done miracles other places, but his, in his hometown, he couldn't do much because the people were like, oh, yeah, we know him. He had, this is the carpenter's son. Um, we know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mom. Yes, we know this guy. Yeah. And Jesus said those famous words, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And I wonder sometimes as people of faith, full of great heritage, does Jesus sometimes, is Jesus sometimes limited in his work? Because we kind of already know how it's done. And we don't, we don't need a lot of faith because we don't, we kind of know. I don't, I don't know. I ask the question, is Jesus limited in my life because I lack faith? He can't do a lot of work because I don't believe. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You know, we don't do that. When we have one lamp for the whole room, we don't put it under the couch or under the table. We put it as high as we can. You've done this. If you've gone camping or in a cabin where there's not electric light. I find it interesting that now in tents that you can buy and, and set up, there's a, little, there's a little loop of material right at the very highest point of the tent, right? So you can hang that battery light up there and it can light the whole tent. How many times do we kind of hide that light that we're carrying because we don't want to cause any problems or we don't want any hard questions. I know I've done it. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and say, now there's a good Christian. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says that they may see your good works and praise your Father, which is in heaven, because that's where you got the light. And so we're just soaking up this light to let it shine around. He has overcome the world. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He can transform and renew. He wants to work in us and through us. He wants us to make the family bigger. And that is in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. We read the first verse already. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Do you see the amen there? Just do it. Just go. There's the idea in that passage as well where he starts in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria, 
into the uttermost parts of the earth. Young people, start at home. Start in your family. Just shine in that light. Younger brothers and sisters should see that light. Moms and dads, they should see that light. Your extended family, in your workplace, just start right at home. A lot of people come to me and they say, you know, I, I'd love to do missions. And sometimes I ask them, what are you involved in in your home church? I think as a people, at least in Canada, we don't tend to volunteer for things. But I'm going to just suggest to you young people, get involved in your church. I mean, can we offer to teach Sunday school? You probably know who you'd talk to and say, you know, if you, if you ever need a Sunday school teacher, um, I, I'd be happy to try that. I'm not very good, but I'd like to learn. Could you coach me? Summer Bible school, I, I'm willing to take off work if I need to, but I'd, I'd like to get involved in summer Bible school this year. I'd like to learn. That's where we start, at home, at work, at school. That's what I believe. That's where we start. I'll tell you a personal story. When I was 15, we had just moved to Guatemala, and my sister Charlotte, she's two years older than me, she is, she is so much more committed than I am. And she wanted to start a Bible club with our neighborhood children. And she said, you know, Stephen, you should help me um, with Bible Club. We'll have it every Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And I wish I could say that I was enthused. I wasn't. I wish I could say that I said, sure, I'll help you. I, I didn't. I said, no. Uh, <laughs> I know the neighbor children. They're going to steal the crayons. But she wouldn't let me go, and I, I had to help her. I wish I could say that I helped her willingly, and I, I got a good attitude in place before I went to children's class. I didn't either. My job was to watch the crayon box. My sister would, would print off. We had this old copier, and I don't even remember how what it's called, but it's this drum, and you had to make like a, a master copy, and it turned out purple purple copies. Some of you are nodding your head. Most of you have no idea. Like you're kind of visualizing this machine in a cave, I think. And that's okay. You have the name? You're exactly right. It's a mimeograph machine. Thank you, uh, Brother John. So she would run, she would make these copies for the children to have a paper to color. She'd write a memory verse at the bottom. If they said the memory verse without looking, they got a sticker. I was also on sticker detail. When I think back about children's uh, class at, on Tuesday at 2 o'clock, I, I just have a lot of visions of squirming, sweaty bodies and people all over the place and awful coloring and smudged papers and crinkled papers and stuttering uh, memory verses in order to get that sticker. And I would run the crayon box, and I'd say two. Now, only two. When you bring those two back, you can have another two crayons. That's how that system worked. 
Well, when I was about 16, our family went on furlough, and we would go on furlough about every two years uh, for two months, and then we'd go back to Guatemala for two years to recover from the furlough. And my dad, my dad had this thing that he thought it was really neat if the whole family could go to the front of the church and sing. And so we would do that. We'd sing a couple songs. Like the people could, where we went could sing way better than we could, but we still had to sing. And he would do a bit of a report of, of you know, what we were doing in our work. And then my mom had this bright idea that since some of us were involved in the work, and we were teenagers now, um, we could do part of the talk as well. And um, they thought that each of us older children could do, do, you know, two or three minutes of talking. And I thought it was a bad idea, but my dad actually thought it was a good idea. So we went with that. But I said, I, I don't know what, we could, what I could talk about. I mean, I have no idea. And my mom suggested I talk about Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And so I did. That was actually the first uh, public speaking that I ever did uh, in front of people that I didn't know. And I, I put together this little thing that I would read. And it kind of went like this, that I would be driving down the road sometimes on my motorcycle doing errands for my dad. And these children would come running out and just waving me down. And I thought, you know, probably their grandma had a heart attack or his dad cut his arm off. But no, they would just say, when do we color again? And I'd be like, oh, Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. See you there. And I would end that talk by saying that the reason we do this is because we want them to be ready for Jesus. Should he come some Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock? Fast forward about 25 years. And we had the six, boy, six boys, uh, no, we probably didn't. We probably only had four because Jasmine was a baby. And I remember the storm was moving in. It looked like it was going to rain. I was finishing up a roof project before we left for a trip for a couple days. I was trying to get it done so that I wouldn't have to return all the tools I had borrowed from the mission shop. The baby was fussy. She only wanted to be with me, and so I was kind of trying to keep her happy. Uh, the boys were trying to help. Brenda came out and wondered if I would grill some meat for lunch because it was my birthday. The neighbor kept coming over wanting to talk about a pickup truck that I had for sale, and I didn't really want to talk to him about it, not then, maybe when I get back from my trip. And... I was just trying to get this roof project done. Did I say it, was, it looked like it was going to rain any minute? And about that time, this motorcycle comes down the road with a big cooler on the back. It was a fish vendor. Fish, fish, anybody want fish? And he stopped in front of our gate, and I thought, oh, no, not another interruption. But the boys love fish, and we were going to have to have supper anyway. And so I sent one of them in to ask Brenda if, if they if she wanted me to buy fish, or if that would just be more trouble. And I went to the gate, and I said, hello. And there was something in this man's face, this dreaded fish vendor's face, that I liked. It drew me in. And we talked a little bit about fish. I was in sort of a sarcastic mood. I said, do you have any sharks in your cooler? He said, no, only tilapia. I said, well, the boys like tilapia. They're checking to see if we're going to buy some. And then he said, 
are you are you related to the gringos over there? And I said, well, it depends which gringos, I guess. He's like Don Marcos, Carlota. I said, well, Don Marcos is my dad. Carlota is my older sister. Yeah, yeah. I said, my name is Esteban. Yeah, I remember you. You used to run the crayon box. Time just stood still. I've been dying to ask the question, and I decided here's my chance. I said, do you remember those children's classes? Oh, he said, yeah, absolutely. I used to, don't you remember me? I frankly didn't. I kind of had visions of, of a, a boy with about six younger siblings in tow. All of them had runny noses. They were half-dressed. Like, they didn't have complete sets of clothes. It was either shorts or a shirt for them. They were a very poor family. And I kind of, kind of remembered. He said, oh, yeah. I said, do you remember any of those memory verses that we made you learn for this sticker? Said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can say them today. He said, you know, those stories from the Bible that your sister would tell us and those memory verses made me want to know more. It actually made me want to learn to read more at school. They went to the public school. He said, when I got older, I bought a Bible. I saved up money and I bought a Bible. And I started going to church. He said, I'm a Christian now. And my wife and I and our two children, we go to church every night. And he was just joyful. And I would say to you, young people, whatever you can get involved in, get involved. I'm going to actually dare say, even if you don't always have a good attitude, God can use it. But he can use a whole lot more if you can pull off a good attitude too. And just let him, let him use you. Open the door wide open. I would invite you to stand again, and we're going to just repeat this, see if we can get a little bit more volume here. I am love. I am called. We need each other. He has overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ. I'm going to have you sit down, and I'm, I'm going to just take the time to do a five-minute challenge here. I have three questions for you. You can answer all of them, or you can answer one of them, whatever God would have you answer. As you reflect over what you've heard, what is God asking you to do? You can answer that question. What is God asking you to do? Or maybe the question for you is, is there something you should make right? Is there something you should make right? And finally, is there some darkness hiding in your heart that God this morning has revealed to you that you should bring into the light. And I would just encourage you to reach out, like we talked yesterday, to someone.
you can reach out to me, but this afternoon I start my journey back home, and I live far away. I would encourage you, young people, to reach out to your pastor, to your youth leader, to a trusted older sister or brother at your church with any of these things. Just reach out to them. You don't have to tell me, but please tell them. Tell someone. For some of you, that someone is going to be your mom or your dad, and that is perfectly fine. And I would say it's fine if it's not your mom and dad. Sometimes there are some things that are easier to say to someone else. But find someone you trust. Find somebody that you know can help you. And then you can win. Because it's two of you against the devil. And it's no longer in the dark. You've brought it into the light. By telling one other person, you've brought it into the light. And they're going to support you. And they're going to help you know what to do. What is God asking you to do? Is there something you should make right? And is there some darkness in your life you should bring into the light? Those are the three questions that I'd ask you to ponder for two minutes. And write an answer if you want to. And we're going to do two things. We're going to give about 30 seconds here or a minute. If you want to go to someone, anyone here, and just, just show them your paper or tell them to just check with me in two days and see if I've acted on the commitment that I just made. If you want to do that, you go ahead. There you go. Move around. Don't don't be shy. Just Just go. If there's somebody that you want to quickly talk to and just say, I, I've made a little decision here. I want you to make sure, check in with me in two days and make sure I've done it. God bless you. Yeah, move around. Don't, don't be shy. Just go, go do it. Finally, if you would like special prayer for a need in your life, a commitment you've just made, um, strength for the step that you feel that you're being called to take. I would just ask you to step out from where you are. Just, just kind of come to the front, and I would like to say a special prayer for you, and then I'm going to sit down and turn it over to uh, the, the leaders here this morning. So if you would like a special prayer for anything in your life, just come on up, and I will pray for you. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your spirit that works in ways that we just don't understand. Thank you for the light that you are in this world and that we can, we can receive that light, that life, and your love. Thank you that you have allowed us to be your witnesses in this world. And I just pray that you would help us to do that. Lord, I pray for the needs that are represented here, the commitments that have been made, and the steps that are taken. Lord, help us to remember that it doesn't matter how small the step we take, as long as it's in the right direction. And that if we take enough small steps, we go a long way. So Lord, I just pray that you would 
you would bless each one here and meet the needs that are represented among us and call us closer to yourself and help us to soak up that light and to share that light with others that our lives would bring honor and glory to your name because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.